Hey everybody, welcome to the Geek Generation. I'm your host, Rob Logan. And on this week's episode, we've got all our interviews from this year's New York Comic Con. If you'd like to watch any of these interviews, videos are available on thegeekgeneration.com and on our YouTube page at thegeekgeneration.com slash YouTube. From TNT's The Librarians, we have Rebecca Romaine, John Larroquette, Lindy Booth, John Kim, and Dean Devlin. From MTV's The Shannara Chronicles, we have author Terry Brooks, Al Goff, Miles Miller, Jonathan Liebsman, and Poppy Dream. From Lego Marvel's Avengers, we have our friend Arthur Parsons returning. He is the game director from TT Games. And from Lego Justice League Cosmic Clash, we have Brandon Vietti, Troy Baker, Jim Krieg, Phil Lamar, and Rick Morales. Just a quick reminder, if you are an Amazon shopper, you can help us out by going to thegeekgeneration.com and clicking on the Amazon button on the page. When you do so, you will go to Amazon, and anything you purchase will get a small kickback from. It doesn't cost you any extra money, and it helps us keep things running over here. So again, head on over to thegeekgeneration.com, click the Amazon button, and do your shopping as you normally would. We appreciate your support. And now, let's get to our interviews from New York Comic Con 2015. I am here with Rebecca Romaine from The Librarians. Uh, you are certainly no stranger to fantasy and TV and movies. What is it about the genre that keeps pulling you back in? Um, I love working in genre. The genre fans are the most enthusiastic fan base. They're just, and you, as an actor, you want to get it right for them because you know they don't want to be let down and you don't want to be the one to let them down. So um, coming from in the X-Men world and now in The Librarians world, it's just, I love it. I love working in sci-fi. You know, our show is different than the X-Men world. We're not a superhero show. We're, we're real people who are highly skilled and talented, and, um, and it's, uh, we don't take ourselves seriously. It's, we're not a dark, heavy show. In a world, a sea of dark, heavy shows, we are a fun, light, fantasy adventure show. Right. And speaking of fun things, there was a fun little cameo in the series finale. Uh, yeah. this, this hunky Lancelot showed up. Yes! Yeah. Stuck um, his sword into me. Yeah. What was that conversation like <laughs> later on? He and I have worked on each like almost every single project okay. we've ever worked on. So that wasn't it was great. Yeah. Really fun. Yeah. <laughs> of course for season two he kept going, Is Lancelot coming back? Is Lancelot coming back? Do you have any particular hopes for your character moving into season two? Um, I would like to see a little more of her backstory or get to know a little bit more of her family. You know, it's sort of such an open ended question because it's like you don't know what you don't know. And our mm. show is just limitless because magic. You know, sure. it could just go in any direction. You just in the, Every script we get, we're shocked at the direction that we take. So, um, you know, I just I just trust in John Rogers, our, our showrunner, that he's going to come up with another genius idea. Yeah. Well, I look forward to season two. It was Thank a pleasure you. talking to you. Nice talking to you. Thanks Thank so much. You. I am here with John Larroquette from The Librarians, and uh, at the end of the season, we had a big reveal for Jenkins. Is that something you knew about from the beginning, or...? No, not the beginning, but somewhere along the line, you know, hints were starting to be dropped by John Rogers and Dean Devlin about his Jenkins' possible longevity. There are a few lines in some scenes that I sort of looked at and went, oh, I see, I think I, think I know, I didn't know specifically where they were going. But then toward the end of the year, it became pretty obvious uh, when one a villain shows up and calls me Galeas, and I went, oh, really? Okay, well, then I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. And then my dad shows up. His dad shows up. Jenkins' dad shows up. Lancelot shows up. So it's pretty clear by the end of season one, his at least his, his, his origin, what sure. he's done for the last thousand years, sure. still has to be investigated, I think. Um, and Jenkins is fairly seen most often in the annex. Mm -hmm. 
but got to get out a little bit there in the season finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, do you wish that Jenkins would be out more in the field? Not necessarily. Right? I mean, and it, it, there is more in the second season of him okay. of him having to participate in the in the adventure, as it were, just because of the way that the what the knowledge that he has that they need in order to help solve the problem. But you know, they're the librarians, and and also as we learned at the beginning of this season, the library is in very bad shape. It's come back, but it is ill, and Jenkins' job for himself is to try and get it well so much of his time is spent trying to get the artifacts back into the library the rooms have gotten completely catawonky they're upside down inside out things are missing and he thinks it's his fault so he's rather protective and secretive about that until he can find a way to fix it then he uses the librarians to help that well i really look forward to season two and thank you so much for joining me absolutely pleasure I'm here with Lindy Booth from The Librarians, and uh, you have a very interesting character on the show who has a bit of an affliction, uh, but is played in a certain light, which the show seems to be in general. Do you enjoy the the humor aspect of the show? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I think in life there is that sort of combination of nothing's ever really good or Mm -hmm. bad. There's always a little bit of bad and a little bit of good. So it really, I think it it reflects reality. And I think what's important for me is playing this character who, you know, has this terrible... Thing happened to her, and and watching her find the strength in it, watching her find the positive things in it, and this year she really she's able, in a totally different way, to to find a strength from it and, and really change from it. Now you've had probably more so than any of the other characters the ability to portray different aspects. Like you've had different versions of your characters. Yeah. Do you enjoy that kind of freedom? I, I mean, it's amazing. One of my favorite parts about the show is that they're literally, it's it's limitless. It. it the possibilities are endless and so for me to have a chance to stretch as an actor and to get to play different versions of Cassandra and then not only that but to be able to take those aspects and then try to reincorporate them into who she is as a person because they're all in there somewhere you know she's got all these bits in her um, she's a super complex character and it's really fun to play and I do get a chance this season again to play a couple of different versions of her um, which, which was fun I love it awesome thank yeah. you so much of course thank you pleasure to talk to you I'm here with John Kim from The Librarians, and uh, your character, Ezekiel, on the show is certainly the most morally ambiguous of the crowd, which has to be the most fun to play, right? Uh, yeah, let's just say it how it is. He's a wanker. Uh, he's, he's not a great guy. But he uh, to be able to play him is a lot of fun, and, and you are right. Mor- morally ambiguous probably doesn't even begin to cut it. And uh, that's what I, I, I've always played him as a, a character that, pretty much gets in his own way. He, he's the least trustworthy of the group and they, they often don't rely on him for a lot of things and I think he's actually capable of more than they give him but because he is such this such a cocky, you know, arrogant young man, it's sort of hard to trust him and and uh, they don't want him getting ahead of himself or anything like that. So I think he's he's actually, his biggest obstacle is, him, is himself, yeah. Right, and he tends to walk the line. He keeps getting up to that line where we think we're going to see the, the pure golden heart yeah, underneath yeah, and then yeah. he likes to twist it last second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to see him cross that line or do you kind of like him as is? Never. Um, in real life, I'm, I'm, I'm super like, I'm... I'm just super cautious with what I say. I try not to like hurt anyone's feelings. Sure. I, I like people to like me in the room, and Ezekiel's the total opposite. So to be able to escape reality and 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 sort of in a sense uh, play that side, if I was that arrogant, if I was that um, you know that much of a douchebag, uh, you know I could I could you know do that. So I, I never wanted to change. And then as far as the character side goes, I think um, no, you're right, Larry. Don't worry about it. Um, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't want, ever want him to change. I do want to see him develop um, and possibly even explain mm. why his intentions are certain ways and things yeah, like that. Yeah. But beyond that, uh, I think, uh, no, I think Ezekiel needs to be Ezekiel. I agree. Yeah. I agree. He is who he is, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. You, thank Pleasure you. Pleasure to meet Appreciate you. Appreciate it, Rob. I'm here with Dean Devlin, the executive producer on The Librarians. Um, during the first season, you explored a lot of magic, obviously. Uh, it seems like you have a lot of roots in uh, medieval medieval things. Is that something that was a clear focus of the show to tie it into that medieval setting? I, well, I think if you're, if you're talking about when magic ruled the world mm -hmm. and that it is now leaking out, I think, you know, we tend to go back to this idea of dragons and the, the round table and Excalibur has been part of our show since uh, the beginning over right. 10 years ago. Right. So, yeah, it, it was important to bring that into it. Now, what was it that inspired the TV show coming from the movies that had been done beforehand? Well, for years, uh, uh, TNT had been asking for a series. And for the longest time, I didn't know how to do it because the movies were very expensive. You know, more, normally television movies are done for like three, four million dollars. And we were doing these things for 12 million dollars. They were really big TV movies. And I said, I didn't know how to do that every week. But then we did a TV series for uh, TNT called uh, Leverage. And we started to develop a lot of techniques to, to put more production value on screen for little money. And so by the time that series ended, I, I had more confidence that we could do it. Of course, I hadn't anticipated over 100 digital effect shots per episode, but uh, it, 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 there was a path. Yeah. And once we had that pathway, creatively, we'd always wanted to do it. But now we had a, a pathway on physical production. Okay. The end of season one, you left it in a place where it felt like it could have been a natural ending at that point, right. but clearly there are places to go. Are we going to see... Uh, a complete kind of change to the structure of the show in season two, or are we going to get back to what we've seen so far? Well, I think there's certain things. Look, if you fall in love with the show, there's certain things you like. You know, we, we like to call it the candy. Sure. You know, and you got to give the candy because that's why I tune in to watch the show. Yeah. But aside from that, I mean, look, it's no secret that I'm a giant Doctor Who fan. And oh, yeah. one of the things about Doctor Who is you never know what kind of episode you're going to get. One could be frightening, one could be hilarious. Uh, want to be suspenseful, and we want our show to be like that. We, we don't want to be so cookie-cutter that, that you know what it's going to be every week. And when you're dealing with magic and a library that has billions of books, you know, we could go anywhere. And so we're, we try to keep the show fresh that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Look forward to season two. Rob, nice what do you like? You. What's your favorite color? What's my favorite color? Uh, <laughs> no. I like I like the neutrals. The, the neutral neutrals, colors. The neutral colors. Hit Mr. Bland here. Mr. Cellophane <laughs> right here. Oh, no. That's true. I am all right. You're so much more colorful than I. I know. Well, I do this on purpose. This isn't colorful. I didn't wear my Hawaiian shirt today. No. Because it's short sleeve and it was freezing when I went out this oh, morning. Oh, yeah. So I thought, nah, do you I wish now, so. maybe? Yeah, now it's starting to seem like it would have been a better idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, I am here with Terry Brooks, author and executive producer of the Shannara Chronicles. Um, hearing about your stories and your characters, you have some very strong female roles in the lead positions. And this is at a time before that was really a staple of fantasy and sci-fi television. Right. Were there strong female influences in your life that encouraged you to do that in your stories? Oh, boy. Yeah. I grew up in a matriarchy. I, there, I have practically all women in my family. There's okay. one or two poor males that are on the a periphery of things. Uh, there's my son and my grandson, and then after that, it gets very thin out there in the field. Uh, so, but you know, and I also have a lot of female fans. And over the years, uh, when I started out with Sword, and there was, you know, there were no female. Uh, characters in there to speak of, except for one. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard from a lot of them saying, "How come you're not writing any strong female characters?" And uh, all the women in the family said, "How come?" 
you know. So I thought, all right, fine. So I wrote Elfstones. And, of course, that had two very strong female yes. characters. And I found that uh, my connection with women within the family uh, actually taught me quite a bit mm. about women. Uh, that was very useful in writing characters. Um, so I, I, I think I was able to find a way to those characters to make them real enough uh, that the stories that followed that had those kinds of characters mm. as well seemed to resonate with the audience. As Shannara was a precursor to a lot of the fantasy things we've seen now, is there a fear for people seeing it on TV for the first time that they'll think it's now taking from something that maybe borrowed from Shannara originally, but we're thinking it's the other way around now? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I, I hear that all the time. And, of course, I got I got hung from the yard arm, you know, when uh, Sword came out. And everybody said, oh, it's just Lord of the Rings. Who cares? Uh, and you have to, you know, you have to take that kind of, of uh, criticism. I was a young writer. It was my first book. You know, what do you want? Right. Uh, so I went on to write books that were not at all like Lord of the Rings and I developed that world which is of course this world in the future mm -hmm. and it has science fiction aspects and so forth so eventually they got tired of doing that and they went off on somebody else whoever is out there that needs beating up on today sure, sure. Uh, so you know I think there's always the sense that somehow it, you you relate everything to something else you know how they pitch things in Hollywood where Blade Runner meets uh, sure. you know uh, Ted or something uh, <laughs> can you do I, that next? <laughs> you know uh, that'd be a neat trick wouldn't yeah, yeah. it? Uh, so I think you just, I think people discuss things in terms that everybody relates to immediately. Mm -hmm. So I've been compared to Star Wars. George mm -hmm. Lucas says, you, this, this book's a lot like Star Wars, uh, your Shannara books are. When sure, I was sure. doing Fa Phantom Mess, and I said, it is? And he says, oh yeah. He says, I, I write a lot well, like what you're writing too. And I thought, yeah, I guess that's true. We're doing adventure stories. Basically right. adventure stories with fantasy or science fiction trappings. There you go. Yeah. Uh, when I'm thinking about the fantasy genre, MTV isn't the first network that comes to mind. So what was it about MTV that made it the right fit for Shannara Chronicles? Well, I think obviously we, I didn't feel strongly about, Game of, about going with uh, HBO because Game of Thrones is such a strong presence sure, there. Sure. I didn't want to be crushed in the process. I wanted this to stand on its own two feet. And I liked the idea of going to some place nobody thought I would go to. And I liked the idea of going to an underdog, basically, that in this field who didn't have anything else, really, sure. of this sort. I like those kinds of challenges. And at this stage in my life, challenges are a good thing to keep you going. Agreed. So Agreed. I just felt like that was, that was the way to go. And uh, I think th the fact that they were so aggressive about it, I mean, they didn't just come in there and say, um, we're going to do really well. They said, we're going to double what anybody else is going to do oh, right wow. now. We're going to give you twice as much money, twice as much support, twice as much everything for the show to be filmed, actors to be paid, everything else. Nice. Okay, you know, that's it. If I get that kind of a commitment mm -hmm. and uh, a promise that this was going to be their lead show, I, I, that's hard not to... Not hard not to go with that. Right, right. Well, obviously the effort looks like it paid off. I've only seen the trailer, but it looks fantastic, and I really look forward to the series. Thank you. And I have to say, I tell this to everybody, the trailers are very good, but the best stuff is in the episodes that are yet to come. It really is. Oh, great pleasure meeting All you. Right. Nice look to meet forward you, too. To it. I am here with Miles Miller, Al Goff, and Jonathan Liebsman for the Shannara Chronicles. Uh, first question for... Al and Miles, you are no strangers to adapting things that have iconic bodies of work. So uh, what is it that you look for when you are choosing your projects of that type? Well, I think in this case, you're always looking for, for great characters and a compelling story in a world you haven't seen before. And, and the Shannara Chronicles, I mean, the Shannara books really tick those boxes for us. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it was 
for me in particular, was like looking, does it have, it has a great story, like a, a complete season of television, an amazing ending, really compelling characters, really strong female characters, and that's what sort of really got us hooked. And what else have you uh, adapted? <laughs> <laughs> this little show called Smallville. Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah. Good show, good show. Um, <laughs> and Jonathan, yeah. I've heard your name attached uh, more to motion pictures, but that line is blurring, it seems, between TV and film. Was this your kind of way? Like, is now the right time to jump into TV, or what is it? That was compelling for you. I, I think it is. When I because TV has a focus on character and character development, which is the most compelling part of any story. And I think at least uh, with some of the movies I've been involved in, the focus is always on the visual. In fact, sometimes you're shooting without a script. The script gets kind of written after the movie gets edited, so that they can arbitrate who gets the credit. But. Um, it's, it was really nice to have a script before we shot that was extremely compelling and I do think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of television right now has a higher quality than big budget uh, motion pictures. And for all of you, what was it about this property in particular? Obviously there's a huge lineage behind it, but what was it that made it now the right time for this project? Well, I, you know, I think in some ways technology has caught up. So I think you know this was this would have been a book that would have been hard to adapt for television even ten years ago, sure. you know, and five years ago. even five years ago. And but and but the book is so big that it would have taken three movies to do it. So I so I think and television in in a way is sort of the new novel. So sure. the way to take a novel and serialize it for television makes the most sense. I agree. I would say it was hard to adapt even um, this year. Remember? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> true. But it's we, true. Want, we wanted something that could really push the envelope in terms of visual effects. So the creature design and the, the realization of the creatures is a phenomenal. It's better than any movie. Well, I really look forward to the series. It looks cinematic, amazing, so exciting. So thank you for joining thank me. Thank you. I'm here with Poppy Drayton from the Shannara Chronicles, and your character is a princess slash warrior slash badass, as yeah. was described in the panel. <laughs> um, is it important for you to seek out characters that have a good positive image for women? And yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think um, I think there are too few really strong, powerful female roles um, in this industry at the moment, and so to get the chance to to play one and one who is so vulnerable and so strong and so weak and so brave all at the same time and she's this wonderful like cocktail of things because not everyone is strong all the time and not everyone is vulnerable all the time and not everyone is brave all the time and to to have the chance to play someone who so beautifully so beautifully well-rounded in that respect was just amazing and a true gift and I just hope that I've done her justice and that and the action scenes had to be something amazing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, we trained for three weeks to do yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, like yeah. it's, um, and with the best team around us, like they were, like the best of the best. Like they yeah. would teach you how to really fight. Like one of our, like our personal trainer was like an ex cage fighter and oh, stuff. Like awesome. he was, he's badass. Yeah. And like, um, you do sword fighting every day, and you do um, personal trainer. Like you'd have him every day, and then you do um, horse riding every day, and you do all of it and so by the end you were just like ready to take you felt like you could just take on the world you were like yeah I know I kind of miss it now like I need to go back into training well I look forward to the show and seeing Amberly up on the the screen so look forward to it nice meeting you nice to meet you too 
I am here with Arthur Parsons, game director from TT Games, and we are talking about LEGO Marvel's Avengers. Now, with this game compared to Marvel superheroes that you worked on prior, that was very comic book centric. Is this one more, I'm assuming, towards the MCU? It's yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of both really. Okay. The, the main story is very much entrenched in Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, as well as some stuff in there from, from Iron Man Three, uh, Cap Winter Soldier, uh, Thor Dark World, but the free play content there is an awful lot of, of comic book and I guess TV show stuff in there okay. as well so um, you know we've got some Agent Carter stuff in there that oh, Hayley awesome. Atwell voiced um, so there's an awful lot of content that that is outside of the MCU because mm. it isn't just Lego Marvel's Avengers it's it's kind of I guess the Marvel Universe through Avengers glasses um, okay. that's the best way of describing the game okay. so since you're going into the TV realm as well uh, and without necessarily saying anything of any confirmation whatsoever are there things you haven't announced that will kind of expand on what we've seen in the mcu that has been out there already uh there are there's definitely things that we've got planned that are not yet announced okay. so there are there are things that there's an awful lot of stuff we're going to announce here at new york comic-con right but even then there is also some stuff we we are kind of holding back but you know the game is you know our, our target was take lego marvel superheroes and make it better okay. um so that's kind of where we're at was there uh, a limitation as far as plot lines go like are you trying to stick to the plot lines that have been set up in the mcu or are you given a lot of freedom to bounce outside that area the main story is telling that story okay. but in a obviously whimsical quirky lego way right, right um but then outside of it you know we've got some some pretty pretty wacky stuff out there yeah. um you know some of the quests some of the characters some of the narrative is 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 funny and there's little nods and easter eggs to pretty much everything right right and you've announced a lot of uh newer marvel characters you have falcon in there as his captain america version yep. you have jane foster thor in yep. there and uh how how deep into the well are you digging well what we wanted to do is make sure that we've got something that appeals to, to everyone so mm-hmm. you know you've got like what are, I guess considered to be current popular characters you know Amadeus Cho Wiccan Hulkling as you say America Chavez um, Kamala Khan Miss Marvel so we've got characters like that but then we've also got classic characters you know characters like Fing Fang Foom uh, who else we've got Devil Dinosaur you know characters that I didn't even know who they were there's a character called Mighty Destroyer I was just like I, I had no idea that's what it no so um, so yeah we've got a bit of a mixture you know you've got TV uh, related you know movie related and then you've got comic book new comic book old mm-hmm. um, and a really nice mix and, and, and as well you then get to some characters where you know we've, we put Jessica Jones in but it's a classic Jessica Jones you know it's a character that's obviously going to be current now right. but obviously we can't necessarily use that version right, so right. Um, so we go with a classic comic book version. Um, so yeah, just lots and lots of really, really cool characters. When you talk about characters that are kind of loved by all, of course you have to bring up Stan Lee. Yeah. And you have a yeah. lot of versions of Stan Lee in the game. How much fun were those two develop? Well, th- those were those were really exciting because obviously we'd done Stan before. Mm-hmm. This time around, it was like doing him with a different twist and a different take. So um, with it being an Avengers-focused game, this time around he has uh, kind of Avengers-based powers. Right, so right. he can suit up into Iron Stan. Yeah. He also has a Stan Buster, um, obviously with Iron Man having a Hulk Buster. To bust and, himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that way it's a case of kind of almost recreating that magic 
that we had in the first game of having Stan Lee. Mm. Um, and he has more cameos in this game than ever before. Awesome. So you, you'll see him popping up in all kinds of situations where obviously in the movies he isn't so you know ticket collector on the Korean train that crashes for example so yeah it's really good fun of the characters you've developed so far without saying your favorite because I know that's like picking your favorite child right which one are you having the most fun playing as so far I think Quicksilver Um, you know he's not you know, technically he's not a massive challenge mm-hmm. but he's incredibly rewarding because as you target a variety of enemies the whole world slows down and, and, and then he runs just at normal speed and, and, and smashes all the bad guys up nice. but everything just goes and then it all happens it comes yeah you know, he can run up buildings yeah you know, right, right and that is a really really awesome thing um, so I think he's he's my most favorite at the minute but I do know that there are going to be characters that are probably going to be even better so I, I've always loved Squirrel Girl yeah, um, yeah. You know, this time around we've got classic Squirrel Girl and unbeatable Squirrel oh, Girl cool. but Squirrel Girl is also getting her own buster so there's going to be oh, a Squirrel no Buster yeah. that is shaping up to be probably the most incredible thing in this game just for quirky fun I can um, hear the applause from yeah. <laughs> the internet right now because, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly uh, as far as the gameplay goes in this game you've had past Lego games that are very open world uh, you've done some more recently that were kind of like hub based yep um, what's the play style in this one like? So this is going to have a big open world Manhattan again, okay. uh, like like Lego Marvel Superheroes. But it's also got uh, a number of other open world areas because we we wanted to kind of switch things up. Okay. So you are going to be able to go to um, where are we? South Africa. You're going to be able to go to Asgard. You're going to be able to go to Malibu. You're going to be able to go to Washington D.C. Asgard um, Malibu. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, little jump. It, yeah, it, it's basically to tie in with the sort of Iron Man three um, thought. To okay. uh, well, Thor Dark World, I should say, Thor Dark World content. So we're using these locations as sort of yeah extra content. Mm-hmm. Um, now those aren't as big as Manhattan, but they are still big hub areas that you can go and explore. And I think there's about eight altogether. So oh, wow. so we've kind of notched it up in in that regard. So in addition to exploring the Avengers storyline, you're also going into those branching movies as well. Yeah. Yeah, in an abridged format. Okay. So, uh, for example, you're able to play as Harley Keener and Tony when they're wandering around, you know, when Tony's in his kind of like, woe is me moment in Iron Man 3. Um, But then we then switch it up and then you go and you fight uh, Aldrich Killian uh, at the dockyard. And that's pretty exciting. Awesome. Yeah, those are abridged kind of like here's the edited highlights of Iron Man 3 here's the edited highlights of Thor Dark World you know you're going to get to go to Svartalheim and fight Curse you're going to go and get to go to Greenwich and then you're going to get to fight Malekith and stuff so really exciting stuff in a somewhat unrelated question but somewhat related uh, Lego Dimensions I just have to ask you real quick like the the amount of licenses you poured into that that must have been a fanboy's dream come true in a way yeah, well, I, I work alongside that team. Um, we're pretty, we're on the same floor in the okay. office, and and uh, as they were making that, because um, I'm I'm really good friends with with the game director on on Dimensions, and yeah, when I keep seeing his screen. You know, we could be going out to lunch, and it's just like, did I just see Ghostbusters? You know, <laughs> did hold, did I just see Homer Simpson? And it's just it, yeah, that it's that's yeah, it's really exciting. And the great thing is, I can play that as a fan because. You know, I haven't I haven't been working on that because I've been busy on Avengers. And right, right. So then to get the final products and play it, it's been great fun. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I look forward to all the games. Legos pouring them out like, oh, and TT, you guys are just still cranking them out. And cool. they're awesome quality still. So no, thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Cheers. Thank all you. All right. 
I am here with Brandon Vietti, producer on Lego Justice League Cosmic Clash, and you have quite a few of these superhero animated movies under your belt at this point. When you're developing the tone for them, you've worked on darker things, things for a more younger audience. What are you trying to really change within that scope of the picture? You know, we're just, I think, trying to make it really entertaining for the age group that we're after. Um, you know, fortunately for us, the DC Universe has been around a long time. It's a lot of great characters that are really well fleshed out, and that's the starting point for us. And, you know, for us, I think it's just, we're trying, we love these characters, and we're just trying so hard to, you know, not change them, really. Um, we're presenting them in a different way, but we're trying very hard to just be true to the character that all the fans know and, and love. There's definitely a world building going on with the Lego movies and uh, a lot of consistency between each picture while each one stands alone individually. Mm -hmm. How far ahead are you looking when you're developing the ones that you're currently working on? Uh, looking in terms of like when they release or? As far as what you want to do with that universe moving into the future and maybe which villain is coming along next or anything like that. You know, what comes next is it's a lot of uh, planning with all of our partners, right? So we work with DC and we, we work with... Uh, Warner Home Video, and we work with Lego, of course, right. and we all kind of get together and kind of, you know, strategize what our next forward steps will be. I think, really for us, it was more at the beginning that we did a lot of our planning in terms of, like, trying to figure out the universe, where, where we were trying to uh, really start from a, a, a... We wanted to find a good start point for all the characters, okay. so we started with uh, Batman joining the Justice League. That was one of the first stories that yep. we told. And we kind of established that, you know, Cyborg was new to the Justice League. He was sort of the rookie on the team. The Justice League itself was fairly new. Mm -hmm. And so really that's kind of how I think we've been, uh, you know, moving forward with, with a plan, sure. if you will. But a lot of the, the future stories that we plan, again, that just sort of comes up from conversations with all of our partners. It's, it's fun. We all kind of get in a room together and kind of everybody weighs in. It's like, yeah. I'd like to see this character. I'd like to do this character. Hey, what about the story like this? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just like playing with toys with your friends. And so that's how we, we kind of push forward with the new story ideas. But again, it all kind of sticks to that starting point that we started with, with, uh, you know, making it the early days of the superheroes teaming up. Sure. Yeah. You said that everyone's kind of like throwing characters in the ring. Yeah. Is there one that you have your vote behind is I want to work with this character at some point? Or have you done that already? You know, I have actually. Uh, we got the Legion of Superheroes mm -hmm. in this story, and I really like them. I, I got to work uh, on a, a, an animated series with the Legion of Superheroes a few years back. And it only ran two seasons, and I boy, I wish it had could have run longer because it was such a great was, series, yeah. really good science fiction stories, and just great characters. Yeah. So um, that I was really thrilled to be able to to fold the the Legion of Superheroes into this Lego movie. Oh, and they're they're appearing in yeah, this one particular. This oh, one. that's exciting! Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And Brainiac of two, of course, is a big part of this. Yes. Is he another character that you have an attachment to, like the Legion, or? Yeah, I like him. I, I think I was a little more attached to the Legion, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's great to work with uh, Brainiac as well, just because he he really has a really strong uh, personality and mm -hmm. character. Um, one of the things that we were able to do with him is, uh, you know, through the many stories that have been told with him in the DC universe, he he collects cities, he puts them in small bottles mm -hmm. and stores them in his wherever he lives, right? So we got to really work with that and run with that and play with that and really amp it up, and we kind of made him more of a collector, and he's 
very concerned about things being in mint condition and very complete, for a Lego yes, movie. exactly, yeah. right? Yes. So, so I mean, you know, it's finding things like that with all the characters, and you know, what's their personality trait in the DCU when he's played straight, and how do we just kind of dial that up to eleven and have some fun with it? Yeah. Stay true to his character, but have have fun with the character as well. Awesome. Well, I look forward to the movie, and thank you for talking with us. Oh, absolutely. And you got a Wild Stallions T-shirt. You guys are the coolest kids in the freaking world. You're the coolest kid, Troy. Dude, your voice is like. Let's have, a, let's have a deep voice off. Oh no! Yeah. All right, you first. Well, no, are we, are we going? Uh, we're going right now. We're going right now. Uh, we're going right now. I'm gonna go deeper than you. I don't That's know. Yeah, you <laughs> okay, we hit the basement. <laughs> I am here with Troy Baker for Lego Justice League Cosmic Clash, the voice of Batman once again coming back for this. And these movies are coming out so. Quickly, I feel like we just talked a few months ago in San Diego, <laughs> and uh, for you, is it like coming home at this point, doing Batman over and over again like this? Every time I get to do this, uh, I, I'm still amazed that they they let me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's never lost on me. I'm like, this is really cool. So I never feel like, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's comforting, and you get a little bit more confidence when they're like, oh, of course we're going to bring you back. Who else would we have? Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm always grateful that they let me do it. Do you have the opportunity in many past movies, you've had multiple roles within that movie. Do you have that opportunity here as well? Fortunately, I get to stick with one, which is great because, yeah, it's fun to do like, oh, now I get to play this, now I get to play this. But honestly, I have more fun just watching everybody else kind of work, mm-hmm. um, especially watching Phil do multiple iterations of himself. Sure. Uh, so I get to be a, a really cool passenger. And Batman's got a lot to say. He's a man of few words, but when he says it's important very important you should listen so yeah i'm just i'm just happy to play batman batman in the lego universe is a very distinctive batman with a very yes. uh, unique personality to himself him and superman have a very adversarial relationship do you get to yeah. bounce off of each other when you do stuff like that or are you recording alone for that well, it depends uh, a lot of times nolan and i will and you know nolan and i have that relationship period sure. to where we just you know we, we break stones with each other all the time but to me, that was that was a huge challenge of you know, in the comics and, and even in a lot of uh, uh, the, like animated series and different stuff. You had this Batman was mm, hesitant to okay. join the Justice League. Yeah, that's not funny. And he and Superman, especially with the movie that's coming out, you see that they, they like to do this, mm-hmm. uh, which is not that with their fists. I'm saying this is their heads, but sure. then like figuratively speaking. But the, the fact that we were able to take that and turn that into something that's comedic, mm-hmm. um, to me, is a, is a true test to the talent that we have on this thing. Is it a challenge for you to make Batman have that kind of comedy when he is very much the straight character most of the time? All you got to do is, again, I always say it's, I'm, I'm the Dean Martin. I've got a bunch of Jerry Lewis's running around. Mm-hmm. I don't have to try to be funny because the lines themselves are so I don't typically think in stuff of of like okay so what's the comedic sense in this it's more just like flat and deadpan just be brooding Batman and it'll be funny so there's a lot of trust that goes into it but at this point because we've been doing this so long you've got the proof in the pudding just go back and watch the previous ones now that you have kind of the rapport with the character and you've been doing it for as long as you have do you get to provide input and to maybe like I feel like he would be this way or that way. Or. Yeah, I mean, the team is always open to making it collaborative. Mm-hmm. But again, so often it's more like I want to know what they're thinking um, because it's 
especially because we've been doing this for a while now, they have a tendency to kind of go, okay, so we know Troy's probably going to go this way with this. So they do start writing more for the actor and the character, So, which is a huge compliment. Um, no one ever sits you in a box and says, this is the way that has to be done. Because right. all anybody cares about is this being the best that it can be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're always open to, sure, vamp, go off, and, and let's see what we come up with. But 99% of the time, it's going to come back to what they wrote because it's just good. When you're voicing a movie like this where the lines are pretty much provided versus voicing a video game where there's so much improv in between and the sounds that you have to add to it, are there things that bleed into each other? From the, like, are there things that you take from video game voice acting that you bring into the movie world or vice sure. versa? Sure. I mean, I think acting is acting, uh, and it's always about... Do you understand the character? Because if you understand the character, Mickey Rourke has a great thing where he says, dialogue is the last thing that I worry about because if I understand the character and it's written well, it should just flow out naturally. Uh, and I agree with that. If, if you're struggling with the line, maybe there's something about the character you don't understand. Or if you think the line needs to be better, maybe there's something about the character you don't understand. Or maybe there's something about the story or the context. Um, but typically, it's, it's more about letting go and just trusting. If I can look at these guys and know that they put out good material, know that they care about this, know that they care about me and all the other actors and wanting to showcase us and, and, and allow us to do what we do, then you just kind of let go. And there's, there's really not that much improving that goes on. Um, and the same thing with games. If, if you know that character and you trust the people that you're working with, it's more about help me understand than it is about let me make you understand. And I think that's, trying to, that's a pretty good philosophy to adapt in life is like, let me seek not to be understood but to understand so all good advice especially yeah. for our aspiring voice actors and things like that yeah, so um, we look forward to Lego Justice League Cosmic yeah. Clash coming out very soon and Troy Baker as Batman thank you guys good stuff man thank you solid always solid pleasant work. and I love the Batman Beyond hat too thank you I am here with Jim Krieg, the screenwriter on LEGO Justice League Cosmic Clash. And uh, you have a new villain coming into this one. You have Brainiac and plays multiple roles throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, so uh, he comes from a planet of identical Brainiacs. Everyone on the planet is, is, a, is a Brainiac. Yeah. And Phil Lamar plays him just slightly different at each, each incarnation. Brainiac 1.2 and yep. Brainiac 1.3. Uh, and uh, it's, his world is a terrible place to live because there's a lot of jockeying to be Brainiac number one. Right. And, uh, you know, it's funny what when uh, Lego came to uh, Warner Brothers Animation and they brought all these models. Mm -hmm. they, they, they built them especially to do... Uh, you know, they're all one of a kind at this point. They're all prototypes. Yeah. And uh, it was a long meeting because we just wanted to play with the toys. Yeah, that's yeah. the impulse. It's like, oh, I've never seen this before. And the one that we were all attracted to that, uh, that Brainiac ship, which is a skull with tentacles yes. under it. And they built this thing from scratch. Yes. And we all wanted to play with that. And it was just a matter of time before we were going to do that as a movie. <laughs> And Everyone here we becomes are. kids in the room all of a sudden. No, yeah. Oh, no, that takes no time whatsoever. <laughs> you've worked on some more adult properties. You have Flashpoint Paradox uh, that you've yes. worked on. Yes, that Flash is very different from a this Flash. Bit, a little bit. <laughs> and I'm curious, how, how do you adjust as a writer when you're going from something that has a more adult tone to something to where you can work in the more humor and kind of get in the mentality of a kid to make what's going to be funny for them? You know, um, I, I think what I... One of the things I really like about my job is that it is not the same thing over and over and over again. That mm -hmm. even though I do a lot of work in this superhero realm and in kids' stuff, 
that uh, there are a lot of gradations of tone. So, sure. so it's refreshing to to do a super serious project and then then switch over to a light comedy. If yeah. you had to, if you had to go from serious to serious serious, I think it would be really challenging if you have a short attention span like I do, um, which also you know lends itself well to. Uh, Playing with Lego, sure, you know? sure. You, you have enough attention to put it together, and then and then you forget about it and just play. And one of the things that I like so much about the Lego movies is like I'll sit down and watch it with my five year old niece and nephew, and they think it's hysterical. They love the slapstick. I'm enjoying the references and the meta jokes because Lego is very meta. Is yeah. there a balance that you're striving for when you're creating to put enough in for adults versus what the kids are going to like? Yes, yeah. We we talk about that all the time. I'll try to put I put in jokes that maybe are. Uh, our reference jokes just for uh, for a small percentage of the audience, mm-hmm. and uh, and sometimes they stay in, and sometimes they don't. There's right. just a certain. I, uh, I guess my technique is I put in as many as possible, knowing that most are going to drop out. Okay. You know, because it, the thing will always run long anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's part of the fun. I think that's part of the Warner Brothers tradition that you know you as a tiny little kid you can laugh at Bugs Bunny for the, his antics, and sure. then but as you get older you realize oh he's referencing all this stuff. I remember thinking. Well, he, he took a long or a, a wrong turn at Albuquerque. What's Albuquerque? You know, but I yeah. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was a joke, and that they weren't pandering to me. Sure. So sure. that's what I hope these come off like. When you're creating a story that takes place in a larger kind of overarching thing, like the movies before definitely have an impact on this one, mm-hmm. and I imagine there's going to be movies after within the same universe as well. I, I, I imagine. <laughs> um, how do you work with those? pieces that you already have and then still try to make the cohesive movie stand alone on its own well it's funny because to, to us these these characters are real and it isn't just batman and it isn't just superman sure. it's lego batman sure, and it's sure. lego superman and lego wonder woman and they're kind of real to us mm-hmm. and so we we saw we saw uh bats and soup superman meet in one and their develop their relationship so we know exactly where their de- relationship is in, e- in each movie sure. but i think that um Within, you know, the first the first couple scenes of any movie, we'll understand what their relationship is, whether you've seen it before or not. Mm-hmm. I think that's just you do that automatically. To this is this is where they are. So it isn't it isn't like a soap opera. It isn't like you're drop dropped in and you're going to be confused. But but you can't help but write it based on the stuff you know before and what and sure. what their relationship is. Is there any character without saying that one is particularly your favorite or not? Is there one that you enjoy writing for more than another? Uh... Do you know what? In this, the Supergirl is in this one. This is oh, the yeah. first time that we've introduced. I think she's in the clip. I hope I haven't. I hope I'm not in in Lego trouble. <laughs> uh, but um, Superman, Supergirl's in it, and she's really funny, and I really like her character. And I don't want to tell you what it's like, uh, but she was great. Well, I'm excited to see her. I'm excited to see the movie, and thank you for talking with us. We look forward to it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having. Thank me. you. I am here with Phil Lamar, the voice of Brainiac on LEGO Justice League Cosmic Clash, and I understand that you are not just the voice of Brainiac, you are the voice of Brainiacs. Yes. Oh, spoiler alert! There are various versions. Uh, Think of it as, uh, well, they like to think of themselves as upgrades, but uh, Brainiac Brainiac 1.1 understands that they are merely helpers. 1.2, 1.3, get over here. Wash my ship. How do you find those variations when you're working with something that's around the same ballpark voice-wise? Mm. How do you create those little differences to separate the characters from one another? You Honestly, you just read the script. Because, you know, Jim and the guys and Brandon have written the characters differently. I don't have to change the voice at all. Um, they've given them, you know, different enough stuff to say that I just play the jokes as, the, as they lay, sure, you know? Sure. Um, 
It's funny because there are, like my friend D. Bradley Baker worked on Clone Wars mm -hmm. and he did all the clones okay. who were genetically all the same person but were different personalities. And I mean, what he did with that was insane. Like you have scenes of four clones talking to each other, all the same voice but completely different personalities. The Brainiac personalities are not that far apart. They're all OCD like really unpleasant nerd guys sure sure you know just that and they all hate each other yeah. <laughs> fine i'll do it no no please don't put yourself out where is my chair you know and you're able to just have the conversation with yourself does <laughs> does that get kind of confusing up in your brain yeah well <laughs> i think if the scenes had gone on any longer it might i might have said wait uh which which wait wait which one am i on <laughs> am i 1.3 or 1.5 i forget you know. And you're certainly no stranger to the DC universe and all these animated things. I mean, John Stewart, and a lot, you are for a lot of people there. Green Lantern. <laughs> How does that feel? I mean, some people are introduced to Hal, some people get Kyle, some get Guy, and you are the Green Lantern for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the the age breakdown. You can actually sort of tell what age somebody is by which Green Lantern they identify yeah, yeah. with. You know, it's like old people know Hal. Yeah. Yeah. Although. I think Kyle didn't quite get enough of a shake. I agree. You know, I, I get more people talking about John and Hal. And like, every once in a while, there's a guy who talks about, well, Kyle was my Green Lantern, but they don't really say it with a lot of pride. Right, right, right. <laughs> no offense, Judd. You did a great job. Are there any characters within the DC Universe that you would love to tackle and haven't had an opportunity to yet? Huh. Well, you know, that's so funny that you, you say that, because... I would love to do a, a version of Catman that was oh, sort of yeah. like based around uh, the Gail Simone Suicide Six version. Okay. Because I feel like with that, because I mean, a costume is a costume, mm -hmm. but when a writer comes along and embodies a character in that way, because to me that's what the the writers on Justice League did. It's not just that they picked a black guy to be Green Lantern. Sure. It's not just the the ring or the suit they came up with a take on that character that really, really resonates. Mm. And I think she did that with Catman. Like, it's Catman? Yeah. Come on. But she made him seem so interesting. It's like you've got the, you know, this, you know, African sort of, you know, feral type of guy, but he's also this sort of handsome, you know, sexy. Like, and it's like, oh, so he wears the, the suit. It's like, no, he doesn't wear a suit. Sometimes he doesn't wear anything at all. Right. You know, and I would love to try to, to embody that. And also that he is now closer to a Batman type, but yeah. coming from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And I would love to, to, to delve into that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. <laughs> when you're developing the, the voice for Brainiac, there have been so many like iconic robotic android type voices through fantasy and sci-fi. Are there ones that you go to in particular for influence on your version? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, the, I'm trying to remember what it sounds. My Brainiac sounds like, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's that sort of, Robot voice. I mean, really, mm -hmm. everything spins off of Hal. Yeah. Dave, <laughs> I'm not feeling all right, Dave. You know, but then you, you take that flatness and you nerd it up. Mm -hmm. Dave, Dave, don't touch that, Dave. And, you know, because this is not Kubrick, right. we get more energy. Right, right. Dave, what are you doing? Put that down, you know. As a Lego movie and you have a younger audience for this, are there certain people in your life that you're happy you can show something like this to? Like maybe they're not ready for the older stuff. Well, it's funny. That's what's great to me about the Lego stuff is 
it looks like it's for little kids, mm-hmm. but it's so, the the humor is really really broad. Absolutely. You know, in appeal and range. I mean, there there are jokes for adults, like the Lego Movie, like in this movie. You know, it's all over the place, and yeah, and your kids can watch it, and you don't have to be worried about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's the thing I love most about it is the broadness of the appeal. Mm. Like you know. If unless you just absolutely hate animation, you will find something you can in love. You totally can love agree. That, you know, I love these movies. Looking forward to Cosmic Clash and to seeing you as Brainiac. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Hi, I am here with Rick Morales, the director of Lego Justice League Cosmic Clash, and uh, as a director of so many different animated projects. At this point, you've worked with a lot of different superheroes, a lot of different tones. Do you have like a go-to, almost utility belt of type of things that you like to work in as a director, or is each thing a brand new? fresh start uh well i came up working in action you know in straighter action so i i do enjoy that but everything is a is a challenge you know everything is a different challenge you know i've i've worked on scooby-doo stuff too and it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's it it all has its its moments and it it, you know it's fun aspects so this is different this is um you know but it's it's more fun in in a way a little more freeing sure you know but it's i think it's a great this is i kept telling my wife this is the most kid-friendly thing that I've I think I've ever done in my career I mean it's it's aimed squarely at that audience and that's a that's a different thing you know trying to channel that type of storytelling as opposed to you know shooting for teens or whatever sure are there kids in your life that you're very excited can finally start to like be at an age where they can watch something you've made you know it's funny I I have a next-door neighbor and he's uh he's five years old now his name is Logan cutest little kid and uh when the first the first 22 the beleaguered came out i was so excited to show him i think he was four at the time i'm like he's gonna eat this up because you know so i had him and his his parents over and we and we watched it and i i was looking at him i wanted to see his reaction and literally halfway through he covered his face in terror (laughs) and was just so scared at the you know the action and i was like oh wow but you know what he he loves it yeah and I've, i've i've been over to his house and he's he brings me this um this Brainiac Lego set because you know now his parents are buying him all the, yeah, the superhero yeah. Lego things, and he's taking it apart. It's just completely you know it's the mech suit, the Lex Luthor mech suit, and um, and he's like, can you put this back together, you know? And it's like I made the show, but I, I I'm sorry, <laughs> kid, you're out of luck here. Man. Where's the um, booklet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. No, that was a lost cause. When you are working on an animated project where the world, you're not stepping into a, another scene to film, you have kind of infinite possibilities as to what you can set up, what kind of shots you can create. You have total fluidity. Is that overwhelming? Do you like the limitations of a live set, or is this a different kind of challenge that you enjoy? Uh, a live set? Um, you know, I've, I've never done live action directing, but, you know, um, I think sometimes the limitations make the, the project, mm-hmm. actually. It's nice to have freedom, and we definitely have a lot of freedom. But you know, for something to be kind of a coherent piece, you have to play within, uh, you know, within a limited set of rules. Sure. You know, and and I think for this stuff, it feels a lot more natural to kind of shoot it in a simpler fashion. You know, you, we don't do a lot of Peter Jackson type uh, right. CG fly through movements. You know, things like that. It's a lot more simple staging, and uh, I think it works for this stuff because the characters are simple and it's fun, and you want to see the jokes clearly and. Right, right. Well, awesome. We look forward to the movie. It was very nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. A big thank you to everyone who took the time to chat with us at this year's New York Comic Con. And thanks to you for listening. For everything else we do, head on over to thegeekgeneration.com. 
If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can like us at Facebook.com slash The Geek Generation and follow at Geek Generation on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Night Angel. Support the show by going to TheGeekGeneration.com slash support. Send emails to podcast at TheGeekGeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back next week with more geeky stuff for you, and we'll see you then. Later. Make it so.